Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. All right, we are back in full effect in the Detroit Is Different podcast studios and Closing out 2019, I'm bringing something that is for the family. As people talk about family spirits, somebody that's been interconnected to my family for a long time. SF Hardy, how are you doing today? I'm great, Kari. How are you? Ah, everything is everything, as Donnie Hathaway would say. So let's uh, start this whole discussion. Uh, I know you as a big sister to one of my friends from like being a kid, but along with that, very creative yourself into storytelling. You have been writing children's books recently, but always been just a creative and known so many creatives and drawn to creativity, whether that be through um whether that be through forms of fashion, forms of hairstyling, but right now you're expressing yourself definitely as an author. Um let's 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 get into that what what led you into writing writing has always been a form of expression for me uh -huh. um as a child there were times where i could not express myself verbally because i didn't feel comfortable but i could always write it down i would get in trouble mm -hmm. my mom said i had to have the last word so i would slide a note under the door when she told me not to talk Okay. Um, in middle school, my poems were selected for the um, area F. Um, there was a contest, mm -hmm. and um, both sixth and seventh grade, I want to say, my poems were published, and um, I was awarded for those. And those poems were on the violence that was taking place at that time long time ago okay um so. all right so as we we're gonna come back to that we're gonna start like we start a lot of these detroit is different stories uh your your family uh how how about did they come to detroit uh my family my maternal side of the family came from the south louisiana and mississippi okay um my um grandparents uh lived in black bottom Mm -hmm. And eventually saved enough money to buy a home in Coney Gardens. And so that was their journey. They came with, you know, part of the mass exodus from the south to the north. Okay. Uh, so Black Bottom, do you know what neighborhood in Black Bottom was streets? Uh, or... Mac and Shane. Okay. So right across from where the old Frederick Douglass was, mm -hmm. the house no longer stands. Okay. And then they moved over to the Coney Gardens area, which a lot of people, if you're from around there, you're very familiar, yes. but you can kind of think of that like as six mile Coney, seven mile Coney. Um, a lot of people that went to Persian. Uh, Corville Elementary. Yeah. So we, um, my grandparents' house um, was right off of Nevada in McKay. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. And that's uh that neighborhood do you remember that neighborhood did you uh spend time over there as a kid i did i lived there 
okay. um, for some time. I do remember a lot. Uh, that was during the early 80s when a crack ac- epidemic hit the mm-hmm. neighborhood. So um, I have some fine memories and some not so fine memories of that area. I recently rode down the street and saw the house and it was such disrepair. It was very disheartening, but mm-hmm. um, yeah. Okay. All right. And then dad's side, where, whereabouts they? So they, um, my paternal great grandfather came here and grandmother came here from um, Hungary. Mm-hmm. And, um, one point they lived in Mount Clemens, then somehow they ended up um the west side of Detroit. Uh the na- the name of the neighborhood escapes me right now, but it's a big uh it was a big Hungarian population mm-hmm. in that um neighborhood at the time. Um so that's how they came. Okay. And these neighborhoods and like um as a child, what what was what would you say you spent the most time at in the Nevada area, uh, other places? Where did you kind of grow up mostly? Um, all over. I spent most of my childhood with my maternal side of the family, so okay. lived on McKay. Um, my mom and dad split up when I was about six or seven. Um, my father got addicted to the crack. And so that uh, caused a great rift, as, you know, mm-hmm. we know. And so um, lived on McKay. We kind of moved around. We lived off of uh, John R. in Six Mile. I can't think of the street. Um, mm-hmm. Yacoma, maybe, mm-hmm. uh, when I was smaller. have a very um, interesting memory from that home. We lived... Um, on Tacoma, on the east side, mm-hmm. uh, when I was probably about three, four years old. That was when Tristan was born. Mm-hmm. Um, we lived in Rochester for a short period of time, right before uh, when my mom was pregnant with Tristan, she gave birth. And then somehow we ended up in St. Clair Shores with my great-grandfather and then back in the city. But after that, um, I spent... I probably was on McKay until I was about 10. And then we okay. moved to uh, Deep East Side by Finney High School, um, mm-hmm. where I stayed until I was about 19 and moved out the house. And Okay. And did you end up going to Finney or what school? I did not go to Finney. I okay. went to uh, Crockett Technical High School where I majored in uh, cosmetology. Okay. So Crockett Technical High School and Crockett Rockets as they as they have it. Uh, they've changed it now. But uh what was that school like when you went there? I remember uh like let's see, when did Crockett when was Crockett open? So the academic portion um opened, I wanna say ninety maybe 93 92 the first graduating class was 96 so it was kind of like crockett and dsa were like relatively new ideas in the mid 90s yes so you were part of like one of some of the first graduating classes there at crockett i was the third to graduate graduated in 98 okay so what was it like going to a school like starting off for me, it was good because I was really scared to go to a big high school. I took okay. the, um, I went to take the test to go to 
to King. That's where um, my mother was going to send me. Mm -hmm. And I failed it on purpose because I was really scared to go to a big school. Mm. Um, <clears throat> I didn't know how to express that at the time. And when my mom got the test results and I told her, she was like, you going to Finney? I was like, I won't go to school. I'll skip Hilarious. every day. Hilarious. So um, growing up in a beauty salon, um, we has, I had some connections or so I ended up going to Crockett and it was a smaller school. I think there were maybe a hundred in my graduating class. Hmm. So it was a little more comfortable. And I, you know, I got a, a, a Votech, a, a skilled trade. Mm -hmm. So. And that, that class kind of like DSA, that Crockett class, those early classes and even like from the 80s like the first renaissance classes like it's almost like a camaraderie you guys are really close yeah we are we had our 20th uh, reunion last summer or the summer of 2018 uh -huh. so um Everybody was really happy to see each other, and um, some of us still are very, you know, close, really close. And, and, and know each other a lot more so than like I guess like a larger school or something else because I I don't know what it is about like the school opening up and starting where even if you don't know each other you sort of know each other because the school I guess the it was so small and people were kind of interrelated. Yeah, it helps you bond. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Even so, you don't realize it then, but looking back. Okay. And then um, being at a school that was starting off with a curriculum like that, do you remember, um, do you think that the, the teachers and the, and the administrators were paying more attention? And the reason I'm asking these questions right now is because so much in education in the city of Detroit is, um, you know, it's a big topic and, and you're, a person that was experiencing that and now you know looking back at from being a mother and everything what what was that experience like just uh, as the administrators were putting everything together uh, how intentional could they be uh, how much attention could they pay you know in basically starting a school as it expanded you know well the votech was established so that was pretty consistent some of mm -hmm. the um the uh, academics were left a lot to be desired. But then you had, there were some things that were very um, good. Mm -hmm. uh, I often felt like it was an experiment. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't really have much to compare it to in terms mm -hmm. of my experience, because that was the only school, high school that I that, that went I went to. to. Okay. Okay, and then um, as far as when we think of of the vocation and and then interacting with like the students that would come from other schools and everything, what was like? Did that expand your network? Did that uh, help you as time went on um, in learning that trade? It definitely did. Um, I developed some lifelong friendships mm -hmm. from being in Voltec. Um, One of my friends, Kelly, she went to King, and we're still friends today. Mm -hmm. And um, it helped us to get another perspective of, you know, how other schools were ran. But I think we all kind of share some of the same sentiments in terms of the mm -hmm. school system. So Okay.
All right. And from from Crockett, where, where were you at in your journey? So from Crockett, again, I didn't really want to go away to school. Um, I mm-hmm. had no desire to. That is my one regret, um, not going away to school. Um, I ended up going to Wayne County Community College District mm-hmm. now for uh, dental assisting. And um, one day I went to class with um, my ex-husband, my son's father, and I realized that not all the classes were these huge lecture halls. And so um, that was at Wayne State, and I decided that I would enroll in Wayne State. So from there, um, I started off as a criminal justice major, switched to social work, social work program was not designed for working adult. Um, And so I ended up switching to psychology. And I had to take a black studies class or anthropology class. I ended up taking a um, black uh, social political thought class that I thought would satisfy the anthropology class. And I got so engrossed into the class and realized that it wouldn't satisfy the anthropology class. But I was in it then, and it was a very interesting class, and so I decided to change my major to um, Africana Studies. Okay, who was the professor? I cannot think of his name right now. Okay, he was like he taught that one class, and I never saw or heard heard from him again. again. What What was he introducing to you? Um, Black social political thought. So, Uh, so like ideas from um, Marcus Garvey, uh, France Fanon. Black political thinkers, okay. uh, W.E.B. Du Bois, uh, a lot of mm-hmm. those things. And this was uh, new thoughts to you, like, the, or was it the way he was presenting it that that was new, or you were just ready to take on these theories? Some of both, and then having a class. The class was very diverse. We had people from all over, um, different countries, and people from Detroit. And some of the things that we discussed, like colorisms amongst Mm. the black community, um, was very interesting because you had a young lady who spoke of, you know, her grandparents encouraging her to marry or date light to keep their family light. So that was interesting to hear that. Um, We talked about the... um, prison industrial complex and you know one of the uh, one of my classmates was a um, prison guard at the time and she talked about how you know some of the the males that she dealt with couldn't understand how she could work in that position because they felt like it was oppressive but she was working a job so we talked about a lot of current events and things that were going on in our lives as well Okay. okay, and what around what what time? What year is this? Oh, Kari. Um, maybe t- two thousand and six. And the reason I ask that is because you know I don't know how familiar you are with the fight for Black studies to even be yes on the campus of Wayne. I'm very familiar. And the reason the Africana. The studies department existed in the first place and uh, right now some of the current fights going on on the campus as uh, one of the most prevalent challenges with Wayne State has been probably for the last 40 years that the lack of black representation in the faculty uh, and 
now even they say the student body and that's why i asked because this is like a, a that department and a lot of those classes was a solution to fights of errol henderson um you know the cockrell family um and so many others that were involved in those battles that were going on right there in that campus uh man and i'm daryl dawsey um and there's so many other people that uh that were fighting in the late 80s to make that happen so like within almost like a 10-year span that existed and you know people like uh gloria house and uh, Bobby Kenfente now and, and a couple others, which I think that a lot of resources are needed still for that department. If they're getting any resources, it was an intentional fight to have that happen. It was. And our professors made sure that we knew that. Um, and that's part of why I love the program. Because for me, it felt like it was a community and your instructors, your professors, they wanted to see you succeed because their success was predicated on you succeeding. Um, the program staying alive uh, was was important. It was important for you to be able to, to make it. And so, yes, I'm familiar with the fight. Mm -hmm. And that's why I'm asking. So it, you, it, it spoke to you to change your major into that. yes so what were some of the other philosophies that you took on in those classes and books or some of the things that have impacted your life since then um or or as you were going through you know through the coursework i should say well one of the interesting things that i was asked a lot was what are you going to do with the major mm -hmm. um and why are you taking it and what is it Although to me it's self-explanatory. So um, I find myself explaining a lot, but it's such a, a broad um, study. I ended up doing the, more of the political track. Mm -hmm. And one of, two of the classes that were very, um, impactful for me was a black social movement, which um, Baba Kafense was my instructor. Mm -hmm. um, and Shout out Kafense <laughs> Cheike. And um, there was a um, urban labor history course. And this was the time, I don't know if you remember, um, when um, Baba Ibn Pitts was assaulted at the restaurant on Warren. Epicurus. Mm -hmm. The Epicurus restaurant on Warren that sits basically like I say between Warren and Woodward and Cass. Yeah. Right yeah. off right off of Cass, right next to mm -hmm. the potato place. So um I actually with my supervisor at the time, um, we went and we partook in the protest. Because my supervisor mm -hmm. was older, um he was from an era where you had to fight. And so um, we went together. Um, I actually interviewed um, Baba Pitts for my labor studies class, 
we had to interview somebody who was over a certain age and um, who had worked in the plants Mm -hmm. in the automotive industry. And so he was willing to let me interview him, um, which was very, very enriching for me. And can you and can you share a little bit of his story? I know some of his overview, but I'd rather have you share a little bit of his story and who he is uh, to Detroit and what exactly happened at Epicure. Well, he is um, an artist, and he was also a freedom fighter. He um, fought with a uh, one of the. Um, I can't remember if it was the, it was drum. It was one mm-hmm. of the drums. And so that's what I interviewed him on. And mm-hmm. at Epicurus, um, he was assaulted. He was next door at the copy center. I don't think it's there anymore. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he was making copies. He needed to use the restroom. He went into the to the the restaurant and asked the I told it was the owner's son told him he could not use the restroom he was he had a very eclectic look so um from what I remember maybe he thought that he was a transient or something like that Baba Pitts wouldn't take no for an answer he went to use the restroom as he was using the restroom he was snatched out of the restroom taken outside and assaulted by the man um by the store owners right Mm -hmm. and so um that sparked a big controversy um at that time and Mm -hmm. i don't know if the person ever faced charges for what he did because that was part of the protest like the restaurant was still open people were still patronizing it and he was still going to work when this person who has had fought for laborers and the people of the city um, was assaulted and it was like nobody cared. Mm-hmm. An uh, elder as well. Right. So, you know. so, so um, during that fight and, and witnessing things like that, did, did that change your perspective of anything? Did that have, does that have an impact on you now? Did that, um, did that make what you were studying seem more relevant today? What, what did uh, that, you know? It definitely showed me that, you know, the more things change, they stay the same. Made me more cynical. Um, mm-hmm. And it was, it, it made me angry. Mm-hmm. I was, I was upset. Mm-hmm. Um, and disappointed. Like I said, people were still patronizing the, the, the restaurant. And it kind of showed me like, you know, you just, no matter what you do sometimes, it's not enough. And you almost you made to feel like you don't matter. Yes. And uh, uh, he's also like a heck of a muralist. Um, I think a lot of people kind of tie him to the mural he did for Malice Green. I believe he did that mural for Malice Green. He did. Uh, uh, he does some. Um, what is that? Um, 
he he can do abstract art and he also can do portraits uh just very creative and uh one of the most creative people i believe that the store owner saw him as someone that was a homeless man so he felt that okay if this guy's homeless then i can treat him anyway but i feel like including you know push him out the bathroom and assault him um and i remember that because i was at the michigan citizen at the time and i think that was the only newspaper that reported on that story at the time like the michigan citizen often would uh so finishing up your finishing up your um your your degree uh so what were some of the other classes you were taking and then uh what happened afterwards what was your next step uh in your life journey I took like um there was an urban studies where we talked about gentrification. Um I and this was uh early on before a lot of the realities of Detroit. Exactly. Today. This was right before the crash and the breakdown. Mayor Kilpatrick was still yes. mayor. This was Mayor Kilpatrick. Detroit. Exactly. Okay. Marion Bates was my instructor um for mm-hmm. this particular class. And I remember walking in thinking this is a black studies class. This mm-hmm. woman is not black. What am I going to gain from this? And I'm glad I stuck it out because it was one of the most rewarding classes. Um, I did have the opportunity to meet um, General Baker. Um, and also uh, Grace Box, which... Um, Professor Bates took me out in the hallway to talk to Mrs. Box. So um, those are some of my fondest memories of um, being in the program. From there, I stayed at Wayne. I ended up um, going to library school. It was like between library school and law school. I wasn't ready for law school. Mm -hmm. And... um, Okay, library school. I'm not familiar with what <laughs> library school so is. Library, what is library, library school? Library school is where you go to become a librarian. It's a master's program. I never knew that. I always thought librarians. See, I've, I've been. I thought librarians were just people that you know filled out an application and you learn from the other librarian. <laughs> no, we had to do a little more the than naivete. that. The naivety. That's okay. That's okay. You learn something new every day. So I um. I enrolled in the program and it's um it was a two year program for me. I had spent like seven years in undergrad, but I was working mom. Mm-hmm. So um I, I didn't want to do that for grad school. I wanted to go and get out. And that is what I did. I um ended up getting a graduate student assistantship and I worked at the Purdy Kresge Library, which is where I realized that I really liked the work. School to me was a little different, wasn't as challenging. So I was bored and I was ready to drop out. Okay. Okay. So the the librarian, and you're working in that facet now, and I want to pick back up with that discussion. But along with that, you said that life is going on too. Like you're 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 a working mom too. So what what's changing in your life? Because you're you're going from kid at Crockett to 19, you're on your own, you're out the house. You you you. I know you had a kid. What's what's happening in your life along this time? Same stuff, school, work, 
raising a child, uh, okay. just okay. life. Um, at that time, I was really focused on getting finished with school because I wanted to live life outside of school. But I felt like I needed to go to school because I wanted to provide a certain lifestyle okay. for okay. my for your, son. For your family. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't want to have to depend on anybody else to give it mm-hmm. to me. Um, so... Um, got remarried in 2007, graduated in 2007, and ended up in grad school in 2007. So the 2007 was a very pivotal year in your life. It was. was. 007. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. So um, with, with all of that happening, uh, can you share a little bit? I was in a discussion, and, and I've been that person, too. Uh, as I got my undergraduate degree from Walsh as an adult student. What's that flow being an adult student? It's a lot of people that are nervous thinking about going back to school and it's like, oh, I don't want to be 25 in a class with 19 year olds. What what was that flow like for you? It's never too late was my thing. For me, I was going to work and then going to school after work, going on the weekends, mm-hmm. going in the summertime, going on Sunday, sometimes going on my lunch break. So every, so every semester you were yes. at, at least like, um, as they call as that, they call that um, not full-time, but part-time yes. student and so that you can, you know, actually you know, not fail or drop out, right. which a lot of people, I think that's what most people don't fail, but they, they'll take too many classes, then they drop out. It's like, I'll keep this one and right. drop out, drop out of that one. But, um, you just stayed at it? Yeah, I stayed at it. It was important to me. I didn't really have a choice. I had to work and I had to go to school. So um, I have said and I continue to say to people, if you want to go to school, do it. It's just, it's just about showing up and putting that effort forth. If you want to, just like with the Africana Studies program, you will have people who will help you where you need help. You have to let them know you need help. Um, but if you want to do it, you can do it. And it's, mm-hmm. it's it's about putting that effort forth. And, you know, don't think about how long it's going to take because you're going to let time go by and not have anything. It'll take right. longer. Yeah. It, it's going to only take longer the more you exactly. wait. And then what about, uh, what do you say for, because I know that's in a lot of people's heads, the whole, I'm going to be so old and everybody else is going to be so young. Because nowadays, especially like you go to a community college, it's going to be some high school kids doing dual enrollment. So you're going to be sitting next to somebody that's 15. Exactly. Well, um, Baba Kafense told us that I want to say he started when he was 37, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he did. He did. It's, he did. it's never too late. It's, you know, we all arrive at our destination at different times. Um, for me, I had to go then because I had mm-hmm. this young man and I was um, being an example to him. And also, you know, like I said, wanting to provide a certain lifestyle for him. So, um, you know, I may go back to school because I enjoy learning. Um so it's never too late. Sometimes we just not ready. And I would say not go when you're pressured into going or when somebody else feels like you should go. Go when you're ready because the experience will be that much fulfilling for you. 
Okay. And, and also, also being a mom, and I'm, I'm going into this as, you know, the year is changing, it's new, and a lot of people will be listening to this. What suggestions do you have about, because um, you're like me, you also started in a community college. What what suggestions do you have for young people with that community college or, or large university? You say you regret not going to the large university. Um, what's What suggestions do you have there? Because I always tell young people, it's like, look, I think you should start, and if you don't know what you need to do, start at wc3 and then figure it out yes you know. if you don't know start there i regret not going away to school <clears throat> okay. okay um i didn't want to go to a big school that's why i didn't go away and that's why i didn't okay. start off at wayne um mm. but you know the trades are wide open there are so many things i posted yesterday you know college is not for everybody learning is and you are going to learn things there's so many things i did not learn or i put on hold because i was in school i just couldn't do it all and i'm doing it now so that's why i have no desire to go back to school um at this moment but if you don't know what you want to do or you think you know what you want to do research it talk to people um, who are in that field you have to go outside of yourself and expose yourself to different things so you can know what it is you want to do or you you think you want to do um I'd start off at a community college make sure that those classes that um you're taking will transfer over so they I don't know if they have it now I'm sure they do they had an equivalency mm -hmm. guide when I was at yeah. Wayne. So, um, cause I did take some guest courses at Wayne County when I was enrolled at Wayne state. Sometimes you have to do that because the classes may not be offered when you need them to. So you may have to take some guest courses at a community college research, what it is you think you're going into. Um, there's a website. I can't think of it right now. Um, but you can go in and see the projected demand for certain professions, what the pay is, where uh, it's going to be most in demand across the country or the world. Um, research and use your public libraries because they have these resources and they're there for you for free. Well, you just led me right into the next question of the public library because I was going to jump right back into the librarian discussion. And that's also what I know you're into the mix of doing now. So public library life, what is that like uh, as I think it's a great asset to most communities, but it's a less and less used asset, whereas, you know, biggest library we all use nowadays, I think it's Google. You know, yes, but even some people have to come to the library to use it because we have that digital divide and you still have you a got, lot of yes people who yes. are homeless or, you know, um, in between homes. And so Internet access. Right. Yeah. So um, it's exciting. Sometimes it can be disappointing because, as you said, there are so many programs and resources and they're not all just related to books. I mean, we try to have books and resources there for you to um, refer to after the programs, but there's so much that you can do at the library um, and not feel like, you know, it's just a quiet place. Um, mm. And I, I implore people to utilize it more because if you don't, use it you lose it and just like we had to fight for the black studies program um mm. 
uh, poor people, people of color, women weren't always able to utilize a library. They were for rich white men. Well, I can definitely <laughs> share with a lot of people when they ask, how do I know a lot of this stuff about the Detroit history that I know? Uh, it's from talking to people. And along with talking to people, it's the Burton Collection at our main library. The Burton Collection in the Detroit main library is a collection of all Detroit history and many families, black, uh, white, white. Um, a lot of like the drawing plans for most of the cars that were designed in the city of Detroit, blueprints for for buildings and structures and roads and political plans, like almost the archives of so many libraries are right in the Burton Collection. You'll be surprised. You may have your name in the Burton Collection if you're from the city of Detroit and different information. So you can deep dive on so many raw records of not just... Not just, the news not just the newspapers and like microfiche and stuff like that, but even even like magazines that are no longer printed. Uh, when I went and looked up my late godmother, Orthea Barnes, it's like files upon files of her in the Burton Collection. And you can find this stuff in the Burton Collection if you want to find access on things. That's like almost a starting point of if you want to find things on Detroit history that I would start with. Then I reach out to some of the people because you can read those stories and then see who's still alive or who's connected to those families and then connect You with are them. correct. There are a lot of primary um, documents like cards, letters, um, mm -hmm things that most people wouldn't think to be there and people utilize it professors um it's heavily used by um some of the staff at wayne state so so as a librarian what was what has that journey been like um how is it engaging with the community uh, what library are you at you know. So I one of the reasons why I wanted to be a librarian is because it gave me the opportunity or gives me the opportunity to learn something different every day. Because you you think that somebody's going to come and ask you a question about stuff you don't know anything about. So it sparks this um, mm -hmm. learning. And um, sometimes that's true. I've worked in the prison library where. I was more of an administrator um, and the inmates pretty much ran the physical part of the library. I couldn't really do programs because I'm in a prison. So it was limited in what I could do. Um, working in a public library is a little different. I have a little more um, creative freedom. So I'm connecting with people in the community, um, artisans, um, people who have uh, things to offer the community and it is very rewarding i'm currently at the skillman branch which is downtown on um, library street in the end of Gratiot. and um we get a lot of tourists a lot of people who live in the city and they come in and they're like i've walked past this building all my life and i've never been in um so it's it's a very fulfilling experience and if I'm correct, that branch has like a lot of blueprints for like cars. Yes, and stuff the like that. Um, automotive history um, is on the second floor of our building. It's separate from us, but it's on the second floor. And um, you can't really access the materials without a 
uh, appointment. Clearance. Yeah, you have okay. to have an appointment. So. All right. All right. And the the being in a prison library what prison and what was that like what you were saying administrative like uh what access to the books what were what were some of the uh people incarcerated what were they interested in reading so i was at a parnell correctional facility in jackson i commuted um for six years and um that was probably the hardest part of my job um we had, when I got there, there was uh, the law library or the law materials and the just the general materials were mixed in together. So when I got there, I separated them so I can know who was where because you had to be scheduled to be in the library, no matter what you were coming from for. Um, so a lot of the the men which it was a level one facility. So most of the guys were within two to five years of going home. Um, when I was there, there wasn't an arsenal. When I left, they built the arsenal. Um, but the guys would come, a lot of guys would come to the law library. Um, the um, general library, uh, the books, most of those were donated. There was a prisoner um, benefit fund, so um, sometimes we would. There was a budget, and um, I could order books. But you know, I mm. would do the ordering. It had to go through the business office. It's a big process, so I couldn't just directly order stuff. And then there was like certain vendors that I could order from. In terms of being an administrator, I would say that because. I was more like a liaison between the inmates and the other staff outside world. Um, when they, uh, we had a relationship with the district library up there so they could place books on hold. Of course they would have to give their request to me. I would place the books on hold at the library, go pick them up, bring them back to them, make sure that they got them back to me, take them back to the library, that type of thing. Um, same thing if their families order books for them, I would have to get them from the mail room, make sure that they were from an approved a vendor, um, things like that. Okay. Scheduling, okay. um, payroll for my uh inmate staff, mm -hmm. um, that type of stuff. Okay. And now at the Skillman branch, because that is a downtown branch. Uh, that kind of brings me to my next question after this one. What's what's the difference now interacting with that audience that comes in? What what are you generally responding to there? I can actually interact with my um, patrons and not have to worry about being accused of being over familiar. Um, I'm not restricted in the material. So if it's something I can access. Um, or can tell them where to go get it, I can do that. Um, creating programs for the children. Um, I like working with the children. So um, doing story time, it's just, it's, it's different. It's more there, you know, you're there because you want to be there. I noticed a lot of guys, um, even when I worked in the um, jail, they didn't read until they didn't have a choice. They were, you know, you're confined, you're isolated, so you you don't have anything else to do. Um, so 
now it's more the patrons are there there because they want to be there and um they they enjoy reading okay and being in the heart of downtown and from taking that class on gentrification and i have a lot of views on it (laughs) and some of it is you know a lot of people don't agree with black and white in the city out of city and everything but what is it like um from taking that class and seeing some of those changes active being at that branch more than taking the class i worked in the jail for nine years down the street on um clinton and uh bobian old jail um mostly sometimes i would work in a new jail and in hamtramck but um i've seen the transition i've seen the big difference and it is a big difference i mean there are way more restaurants. You see people. Uh, I'm leaving work at night. Uh, you see people walking up and down the street. It's populated. It's not, you know, it's not a a ghost town. And um, most of the people don't look like me. Um, so I've you feel the difference. Witness, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, and when you were, the reason I asked about the class, because as you were being introduced to that concept, that was relatively a concept that many Detroiters, I definitely think like, you know, Mayor Kilpatrick, 2005, it was just like, I don't know, that may happen in D.C., because like, you know, we were going there. I see it happen in Harlem, but Detroit is not going to happen. 90% black, you know, and it's still 80% black. But a lot of stuff's different. Here. Yes, and and like um, you, most people did not believe that it would happen. But I think this is. Well, I know this is something that has been in the works for a very long mm-hmm. um, time, and I could be wrong, and I could be skewed and crazy in my thinking. But my thoughts are that. You know, the big water fight. Mm -hmm. If you look at history and how people move, you're always going to migrate towards a natural resource. We had a natural resource. The homes in Detroit, they don't build homes like that. Yeah, they're brick. (laughs) You know, it's funny. A guy from Austria came and I met him at one of those conferences through a guy that writes for... uh, (laughs) For Bloomberg, and uh, he's Austrian. And when he came over here to the studio, he was like, and as he was looking at the houses, he was like, yeah, a lot of these houses are dilapidated, and he's from Austria, but he's like, these are brick homes. Plaster. I mean, they don't make homes like this anymore. So I think that's probably what has kept me here um, in the city. It's like one of the things. I don't want a piece of a house. Um, and why move out in the suburbs? I'm going to have to come back to the city to do everything because this is where my family is. Um, this is where I'm working. This is where, you know, I I live. So yeah. um, until I can go somewhere warm, this is where I will be. Okay. And as you talk about warm and connecting with warm, you're going to talk a little bit about little homies. 
you writing children's books? Is this something that sparked from being in the library? I know you said you wrote stories and always were telling stories. What connected you to children's books? When um, my son was growing up, he was very oppositional. And I had to be creative with helping him to learn at home. And so Spelling Words became a book or a story because that was the only way I could get him to pay attention. And um, there's just stories that need to be told to adults, but to kids also. And it's just, it's to me, it's more gratifying to write for children. Um, I can be myself and just it's just free so okay so talk about the first children's book you released my first children's book was the empress's new hair and that idea came to me one day i was driving and um i probably was having some kind of obstacle with my hair and um it just once I started to sit down and write it, it just started to flow. But it is kind of a cornucopia, if you will, of the many different hairstyles that um, I have worn. And and you see um, growing up in the beauty salon, how women are uh, about their hair and their looks and um, also, you know, seeing or hearing people not be appreciative of what they have. You know, hear people talk about having good hair, just seeing the reactions of how people behave um, with me, um, depending on the way that I wear my hair. Um, those things all played a part in me writing the book but it basically speaks to embracing self loving yourself and appreciating what what you have because you might not have it one day okay and who was the main character um what what were what was her name what what What's like the um, and what was the response that that you got from the book? So the main character was or is Empress Zaina, and um, I published the book in 2012, and I want to say I got a big response. I had a lot of support behind it, but at the time, um, I was going through some transitions. I think that's that's when I shortly. Right before then is when I started at the prison. So I was adjusting to that. Um, I get the winter blues. So sometimes each year is different, but sometimes I can only do what I have to do. And I can't push myself to do anything else. So that year was really hard for me. And I probably could have done a whole lot more with the book in terms of promotions and getting out in the community. But it fell by the wayside because I couldn't. I couldn't do it. And being an indie author is really hard. You wear a lot of hats. You got to do a lot of stuff. It's a lot of, mm -hmm. you know, learning the process and stuff like that. So, um, but I've kind of 
resurrected it a little bit. So um, people have been picking it up. I know at that time, um, uh, for Harriet, are you familiar with that? It's like an online um, magazine. It was featured in there. It was one of the books featured, and I can't remember what the the topic was at the time, but I don't know how it got to them, but it got there. But it got to them. And or how I even found out about it. But um, Mm -hmm. it's still circulating. Okay. So from that book, um, and then when I think children's books, it's also like the animation needs to be a certain way and all of that stuff. How did you go about finding animators and printers is it just one of those things a learning curve it, or? it was in, in in your network so um i had previously uh published uh, an adult book very adult book mm-hmm. and so i kind of had a network and had some knowledge um Sylvia Hubbard was very helpful and mm-hmm. being in the Motown writers network was helpful shout out hey, to Sylvia. Sylvia. um mm-hmm. so um, I rely heavily on that, on right? The resources so I kind of, mm-hmm. although I'm an independent author, I did go to a company to help um, with the publishing mm-hmm. process. Um, I had somebody illustrate, and that's probably one of the things that I'll probably go back and change because some of the reviews on the illustrations were. Um, I get what they're saying. It can be. You want you want more it to be unique, more expressive. And yeah, more unique like. to okay. to me because some of the characters do look familiar um, to okay. um, some other characters. So, okay. um, so I may change that in the future. So, since then, uh, your next children. So, book. my uh, most recent is like a salad. And Like Mm -hmm. a Salad is about two siblings um, exploring the nuances of skin tones with their grandparents. And um, that book I wrote, I was writing in my head. And I'm big on character names. You know, I'm going to ask again. So Asir and Zalani are um, the siblings, older brother and his little sister. And um, they compare skin tones to different day-to-day things in their lives Mm -hmm. and um it's a cute story i like i said i was starting to write it and i didn't finish it and a co-worker called and asked about a book that talked about um different skin tones in the family because they had a patron asking for a book because they had a little one who was asking why somebody in the family had a different skin tone or was darker or lighter than somebody else so that Uh put the fire under me to finish that story okay interesting okay and how has that book been it has been well received um Mm -hmm. i've gone and i've read it to um a few classes in the school so Mm -hmm. the the children they like it even the older children like it's for zero to six year olds but the third and fourth graders they like it i think the cover is very appealing so that is what yes that helps 
and uh when you read and do storytelling as a librarian too are you uh like the uh traditional griots at uh going to an african-centered school i remember i thought it was always cool like do you get into voices and characters and you get animated? i am very animated and um i always have been with um uh-huh. tori so um that's part of what what i do a great storyteller and i think definitely for young kids like you know like when you make the spider you gotta yes. arch your back you have to get into stuff. character which is it, it is exhausting <laughs> um and it's very but i guess it can be fulfilling it is you feed off the audience and it's different for me because i'm not an actor but when it comes to that i can do it now I haven't tried to memorize any stories. Um, uh-huh. This past October, I did um, Room on a Broom, which is one of my favorite stories. And I got a chance to do it at the YMCA. And one of the mothers was like, you're great. She was like, you you put me, you embarrass me. Um, but I enjoy doing it. And I enjoy the, you know, helping to cultivate that joy for reading in the little ones. That's what's important to me. So. Okay, and and then when writing a children's story, because most children's stories are, um, they they also like have a premise around like life lessons, you know. Whereas like I guess adult stories, it could just be like for entertainment purposes only. Um, in your style, do you have the life lesson already written out as you go in, and are you like incepting the lesson in on each page, or like what's what's the process of connecting? So, I don't have a process. It it has to come to me. So even with like the Empress is new here and like a salad, I try not to be, you know, preachy. Um, uh-huh. But those two stories, there is a moral to the story and it just it just happens you know i I write and it happens but i try to do it in a way that you know it's entertaining so um we say edutain um my next book there's really no moral to the story but it's very fun and i guess um it is teaching counting in a sense so um, but it's a fun mm-hmm. story, so. Okay. Okay. All right. And with that, I definitely want to close out with um, with some classic Detroit is different questions. But before I get to that, uh, how do people get in contact with you to get these books and uh, find out more of what you're working so on? So people can connect with me through my website, which is um, sfhardybooks.com. Um, I'm on Facebook, SF Hardy, the writer. Um, also Stephanie Physique is Hardy and I am on Instagram under she nominal Inc. That's S H E N O M E N A L I N K. Okay, so here are the classic Detroit is different questions. What was your very first car? And the year making model, and what year did you get it? I can't remember the name of it. I could tell you I got it from um, the dealership on uh, Mac and right like at Warren, just south of Warren. Um, it was red, and it was a two-door. So that was like 
So that was like a, that was like um, neighborhood. That was like neighborhood dealership. Yeah. Well, no, it was. It's um, it was a a Chrysler dealership. Right. It, Chrysler not Ray Latham. I think it started with an L. Okay. Um, okay. All right. I'll have to. Yeah, I was seventeen. I don't know. That's been a long time ago. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> um, but so. it was red, two door, so it was more like a sports car, mm. and I want to say it had some. Uh, it was a Chrysler, but it had some Mitsubishi parts in it. Okay. I remember that. Okay. Okay. Where was the first place you went when you got it? Probably home. Okay. <laughs> Probably okay. home, because. That's what I was told to do. But I, I used it to go to school and go to work. Okay. Um, okay. Next question. You, um, are, next question. you are the DJ at the Detroit Fireworks. You get to play three songs. It just ended. You're at Woodward and Jefferson. What three songs do you play? What DJ at the Detroit Fireworks? Okay. I'm going to play Outstanding. Okay. By Gap Band. Gap Band. Um... Why you put me on the spot like that? I'll go. <laughs> I ask everybody these questions. Um, I'm going to play I'm Every Woman. Okay. Shaka Khan. Okay. Shaka Khan. And then I'm going to play Bad and Bougie. Okay. <laughs> okay. And the very last Detroit is different question. If you could rename Woodward after one person, who would it be and why? That is a good question. And a hard one. Mm -hmm. I would name it after General Baker. Okay. And I would name it after him because he did fight for the city, the laborers, and um, he fought up until he made his transition. It's one yeah. of my one of my heroes. Okay, that's cool. So thank you so much for your Detroit. Is thank you for having me. Peace. Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store.